Hello and welcome back to the Gritty Men podcast. I am John Riggs, your host, and we are here at Gritty Men to equip, inspire, and encourage God's men to live God's way for God's glory. Last week, we began a few-week podcast uh, study on the art and science of biblical interpretation. In other words, it's just called hermeneutics. And um, we're going to spend our study today moving on from where we were last week in our previous discussion on how we are as God's men to, uh, to, to study the Word of God. And so if you didn't hear last week's podcast, go back and study it and listen to it, and I hope it'll be a blessing to you. But one thing that's significant important, and important for us as God's men, we understand that we are really the under-shepherds of our family. We are the spiritual leaders of our wives and of our children. And so um, it is important that we become knowledgeable in understanding Scripture and being able to, to be able to teach our wives and our children um, and in a way that points them to Christ, that helps them grow in the Lord. And um, we are to be those shepherds uh, over our home. And so um, just, just briefly as we begin this, um, today we're going to cover some different principles that you can use that will help you better study and understand the Word of God. And that's really what we're after. We want to know what God's original meaning and intent was. What is, was God trying to tell us when He wrote the Word of God by inspiration of the Holy Spirit through men? And that's why we started with this passage of Scripture last week, and I'm going to do it again this week because we're going to be focused on this Scripture. It's one we've learned already in the Gritty Men uh, podcast uh, sessions, and that is found in 2 Timothy 3, 16 through 17. And that is all Scripture, that means all, that means every single aspect of Scripture, is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, and instruction in righteousness So the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. And so last week we kind of broke this passage of Scripture down and learned more about the significance of Scripture and how God uses it uh, to, to the profit of us as God's men, especially in relation to um, our doctrine, what we've been taught in the past, what does the Word of God teach in relation to our theology and doctrine, and then we know that it corrects wrong thinking, and it gives us the correct way to think and understand. It gives us instruction for how we are to live in righteousness in the world in which we live in, um, and God's desire is that we would come com- become complete, and that word is really the word mature, that we would grow up in Christ, that we would be full men, mature men of God, and that we, by this, we would be thoroughly equipped for every work that God has for us as God's men. So, um, we did cover uh, exegesis and eisegesis um, and the significance of those two, one's good, one's bad. Exegesis, we want to pull out of Scripture what God's original intent and meaning was. Eisegesis, we do not want to be a part of that. That is those who put their own interpretation, their own bias, um, and their own ideas into the passage. We do not want to do that. And uh, so today we're going to begin with several principles that you can use that will be a blessing for you. Number one, we remember that we always start out with prayer and asking the Holy Spirit to be our teacher. In fact, 1 John chapter 2, uh, 27 says, As for you, the anointing you received from him 
remains in you, and you do not need anyone to teach you, but as his anointing teaches you about all things, and that anointing is real, not counterfeit, just as it is taught you, remain in him. So God's Holy Spirit um, is to be our teacher, and Jesus told his apostles that the Holy Spirit would not only be their helper, their paraclete, the counselor, um, the, all the things of the Holy Spirit, but he would be their teacher and he would teach them in all truth. So we begin with the Holy Spirit first before we do anything else when it comes to the Word of God. All right, here we go. Let me give you a list of principles that you can apply and that you can use in your own life that will be a blessing to you guys, something that you guys can use beginning today. Number one, it is called the literal, the literal interpretive principle. Now, that means that we take Scripture literally, right? We let the Word of God say what the Word of God says, right? We don't come to the Scripture um, looking at it in a metaphorical way or, or by allegory, for example, because there are proponents um, that are teaching that really the first 11 chapters of Genesis should be actually looked at by means of allegory. Okay, so um, we do not want to allegorize scriptures. We just do not want to do that. We want to, to take this very simple principle, and that is whatever the text says is what the text means, okay? We're to read the Bible and look for the obvious and the plain meaning of the words that we are reading. This is very, very important. You can get in big trouble when you start allegorizing scripture. Um, on the other side, we should also reject any attempt to allegorize the scriptures um, because it's very, very obvious as you study the word of God, you know that God is speaking allegorically just by what he has written. For example, we know that when it says that Jesus is the door, <laughs> okay, Jesus says, I am the door. We know that Jesus is not a door, okay? That's an allegorical um, um, teaching, okay? Jesus is teaching about himself, and he's using an allegory describing using a door. You know, you enter in through a door, right? Okay. So Jesus is not a door any more than he is when he says, I am a gate. He's not the gate. He even said, I am the bread of life. We know that Jesus Christ is not a piece of bread. We know that. He said, I am the manna that came down from heaven. Um, he also said, I am the living water. We know Jesus Christ is not literally water, okay? So the Bible is pretty easy to understand the allegory or metaphors. Whatever. It, allegorically, we can see when it's being used, okay? Not hard for us to see and understand. But the main issues that I have also, there are those within Christianity even that are proponing, are a proponent of a teaching that basically the first 11 chapters of the beginning, <laughs> yeah, that's all allegory. Well, that's a bunch of baloney. Isn't it interesting that, that there would be a, an affront to the very beginning? Because if you don't get the beginning right, how are you going to get the end correct, right? And so... Genesis is very, very important because it is the genesis of everything. It's the beginning. In the beginning, God, right? In the beginning, God. We also see the Trinity right there in the very, very beginning. Um, 
Not only was the Spirit hovering over the waters, then we see God say, let us make man in our image. God the Father is speaking. But we also see that you read John 1, Jesus Christ is the Word who was with God in the beginning, who is God, and He created all things. We see God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. They're all right there in the beginning. And we also see that when the Word of God says that there was morning and there was evening on the first day, it doesn't mean there was morning and evening sometimes, sometime through millions of years. No, it literally means what it says. Now, I know there's people that are going to argue all that, but listen, you say, well, what about Jonah? I mean, was he really swallowed by a whale? I mean, come on, man. No, the Bible says it was a fish, right? It was a large fish. And so what's fascinating about like, like Jonah, and then we have people say, Noah, well, all this is just allegory. Well, it's ironic that Jesus Christ, God himself in the flesh, he even said, as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be at the coming of the Son of Man. He also said, as Jonah was in the well, in the belly of the well for three days, so shall the Son of Man be in the heart of the earth. And Jesus God himself here is referring to literal, true individuals within the first 11 chapters of Genesis. So we take it literally unless it is obvious that it is allegory. Okay, very, very, very important. So I want you to, to do that. What you'll find is people will take, oh, we'll take this one literal, but when you come to eschatology, uh, no, you take the book of Revelation. We, we can't take that one literal. Uh, you can take this literal in the Old Testament, but you can't take that literal in the New Testament. That's kind of interesting. I mean, do you really? Yes. We have a literal interpretation from Scripture from Genesis all the way through the book of Revelation. Um, God's not like, hey, can you figure this out? And what's fascinating, even let's just talk about the book of Revelation, for example. The book of Revelation is an incredible book. It's the book of the revelation of Jesus Christ. And what's fascinating, when you study the book of Revelation, you're going to find that the book of Revelation is actually, we're going to use this, is that Scripture is going to interpret Scripture, but also you're going to see Scripture in other parts of Scripture. So you're going to find something written about in the book of Revelation, but lo and behold, it was written about previously, whether the Old Testament or maybe in Matthew chapter 24 and 25, wherever it would be Jesus is speaking about it or some Old Testament prophet is talking about it. It's already, much of it's already in Scripture. And so it's very, very interesting. And I, I love the book of Revelation, but I love eschatology. It's, a, it's for another time. So guys... When you study the Bible, you begin with an understanding that we are reading this literally. And we, it says what it means, and it means what it says. And we are smart enough to understand when the Word says, Jesus says, I am the bread of life, I know He's not a loaf of bread. Okay, we understand that. Okay, so take Scripture literally. That's how we study it. Number two is the contextual principle, right? So we are going to um, take Scripture in context, right? We're not going to pull Scripture out of context. This happens all of the time. That's why I am a proponent of, of um, expositional preaching and teaching. What does that mean? That means normally I will teach or pre and preach through an entire book. Um, and the reason for that is, is we're going to basically have a full understanding of what the author 
of that letter by inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Spirit, ultimately God was trying to say. Now, you could grab a scripture and you could pull it out and you can say, this is my scripture. There's a problem with that. Uh, you need to take it in context. For example, um, let's just say that um, I wrote you a letter, you know, and it's four or five pages, which that would not happen. But anyway, I wrote you something and you took one sentence, pulled it out and said, oh, here we go. Let's pull this out. Well, you may not have at all the meaning of that sentence. You do not any longer retain the meaning of the sentence if you pull it out of the context in which it was written. For example, you'll hear this a lot. People will quote, um, which, which even like an Old Testament passage, Jeremiah 29, 11 through 13, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future, and we can go down the list. What's fascinating about that, that's a great passage of Scripture, but that passage of Scripture was written to the Jewish people. And then you even take, for example, um, uh, uh, several Old Testament passages that you could go to. If my people who are called by my name will... will, will um, will humble themselves and, and, and seek my face and turn from their wicked, way, their, their wicked ways. Then I will hear from heaven. I will heal their land and so on and so forth. And, and you read that passage of Scripture, and people want to claim that for the United States of America. Now, in principle, there's some value there, but that was written to the nation of Israel. And when you read the other context of that, there was also, but if you don't do these things, I will do this. And that's the promises of what God gave the nation of Israel. You follow in my statutes, you, you obey my commands, there's going to be blessing that comes with that. But if you don't, guess what? This will be the result. And here's, here's a New Testament one that you often hear people will quote. They'll put it up on their, their wall or page or bumper sticker, whatever it might be, and it's Philippians 4.13, where Paul, of course, writing to the church in Philippi there says, for I, um, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, okay? Now, this is just an obvious one where you can see it's pulled out of context. Well, Paul is writing, now being in prison in Rome, and um, he's written this letter to these Philippian believers from chapter 1, and we've made our way now into chapter 4. And Paul is, is if you took that in reality, you know, I cannot, I'd love to be able to do this, but I can't do it to say I can do all things. I can't stand, uh, you know, at, at, at the bottom of Mount Princeton or one of the mountains in, in Colorado, the, the peaks there. I, I can't do that and, and fly to the top. You know, okay, Lord, help me fly. I'm going to fly to the top of the mountain. I, I'll quote this verse. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. No, you can't fly because you're not a bird and you weren't made to fly, okay? That's not going to work. So you can't do all things, right? This is not what Paul was speaking of because you pull out a context. You got people that are trying to be Superman. Well, no, you can't. Uh, you you can't uh, you know you can't uh, take down buildings and you, no, you're not. You're not. That's not how that works. Okay. What this is saying though in this context is Paul says, "I have learned how to be content in every situation." So Paul is speaking about whether I have had food or hungry whether I have had clothing or, or, or without or, 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 or shelter or what. Paul says, whether I'm in prison, whether I'm free, I've learned something, Paul says. God has taught me something here. He's learned how to be content in every situation. So Paul then goes on and says, for I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. 
Paul says, the reason I'm able to endure all of these things, whether I have plenty or I'm in want or, or whether I'm, I'm in safety or I'm in danger or, or, or whether I'm in prison, which I don't want to be, or, or I'm, I'm free, Paul says, God has taught me something, that he is God, he is sovereign. Aren't you thankful today for the prison epistles? See, Paul was still being used mightily by God. He had no idea that we would be here in, in, in this time. And what are we doing? I'm actually reading a verse out of the letter that he wrote to these Philippian believers from prison, from Rome. And I'm sure Paul's thinking, you know what, Lord? I can do more if you just get me out of this place. But, but see, God, he's sovereign. He's, he's, he's infinite. And Paul is just stressing now at the, near the end of his life, and, and this is a principle of maturity. Paul has learned the value of being content. He's learned how to be content in any and every situation because God is God in any situation that I'm in. It doesn't matter if I have much, if I'm in need. It doesn't matter if I'm free or I'm enslaved. It doesn't matter the situation. My God is still God, and to God be the glory. Paul says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. See, so... That's, that's an example of someone that would pull that context out of Scripture. It's a great Scripture. We love that Scripture. But in context, you can see the power of the Scripture in which Paul was writing under inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And it's for us today, and we need to know those things. So context is everything. So be very, very careful. Um, and there's nothing wrong with, with teaching or preaching um, a subject matter um, that's topical. Okay, You can do that, but just make sure that it's done in context in light of Scripture. So that's why when we're studying the Word of God, I, I want to not only, if you're just going to open up the Word of God for the day and you're going to read, right? You're going to read what? You're going to read a chapter. Not just, you might read a verse, but you, you, to get the understanding, we need to read not just the verse, we need to read the, the chapter or the paragraph and then the chapter. And then not only a chapter, we might need to read the entire book. Um, and then, so we're able to get the context of what, of what was trying to be said here. So um, make sure you use the contextual principle. Don't just grab a verse and pull it out of Scripture like so many, unfortunately, men do today. There's a lot of them that do. And they abuse the body of Christ and people by taking scriptures out of context and preaching on it a certain way, putting into their own bias, their own meaning, their own. We don't want their meaning. We want what does the word of God teach and what was God's intent? That's what we want to know. And so the second principle is the contextual principle. The first one is the literal interpretation principle. We read scripture literally. What it says is what it means. And we also read it in context. So, very important. Okay, number three, as we make our way through here. We're going to try to get through these principles today. They'll be a blessing to you. Write them down. Number one, literal interpretation principle. Number two is the contextual principle. Number three is going to be the Scripture interprets Scripture principle. This is important. The Word of God does not contradict itself. Now, there are people out there that try to say, well, the Bible's full of contradictions. They're absolutely wrong. They may not understand what they're reading, but the Word of God is not in opposition to itself. No, why is that? Because God is truth. He is very truth itself. And the Word of God does scripturally support itself. It just does that. So Scripture interprets Scripture principle. Now, this principle... Um, 
is that God's word is integrated whole. It's an integrated whole and does not contradict itself. We also know that when God gives us an important doctrine, he's not going to only speak on it one time. You're going to find it many places throughout Scripture, like the, the doctrine of justification. You'll find it throughout Scripture in many, many, many places. Um, and when we're studying the Scripture in the Bible... Um, that is somewhat obscure. Sometimes you'll have a passage that seems to be obscure. We should look at other scriptures that address the same subject for clarification. That's a very good way in which we can ensure that we get the true meaning of what needs to be learned from that passage. And so not only that, but that's what I was sharing with you on the first podcast within this study of hermeneutics, is that we want to have a good concordance. And one of the great values of having a concordance or using something like Bible Hub is that when you look at a certain word in Greek or Hebrew um, and you pull up that word, you're going to find that it will list all the other places in Scripture where that word, that Hebrew or Greek word, is used. Therefore, guess what? Now I have a list of other places. For example, if I don't really quite understand what that might mean, um, maybe it's kind of like, ah, I just, I don't really, I'm not really getting it here. Then I can be blessed by using these other locations in scripture and reading how it was used in context within that placement of that word within scripture. So it will help you and it helps us begin to get a good understanding of what that word means because it's going to have a repetitive meaning. And so it's encouraging, uh, as we use the contextual principle, that's the third, the third, the second, I mean, the, um, the third principle, excuse me, is scripture interpret scripture principle. So the fourth principle is the progressive revelation principle. All right. So what this basically means is it's a concept, um, that teaches that God is progressively revealing truth as his Bible was being written, as his word was being written. For example, I find it fascinating that like even Daniel and some of the Old Testament prophets, they were receiving these, these words from God, and they wondered about what time and what people they were speaking of. You know, I mean, these are incredible things. You have Isaiah, and you got Ezekiel, and you got Daniel, and you, you got these incredible things that are being talked about. And I mean, can you imagine them going home to their wife and they're being asked, hey, honey, what did, what, did you, what did God tell you today? And they're going, wow, I wish I could tell you what he was meaning today, right? Um, and so some of this, these, these truths actually became known or manifested, clearly taught within the New Testament. Like, for example, um, we know that um, when God made covenant with Abraham, he said that all nations of the world would be blessed through Abraham, even though Abraham would be the father of the nation of Israel. Um, and that, that he, would, he would be a blessing unto the whole world. Well, through Christ and the gospel, and now we learn Paul comes in, and we have this mystery of the church coming in. Paul says, hey, this has been a mystery. It's been revealed now, and this incredible mystery is that the Gentiles are even brought into the commonwealth of God through the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, let's be honest the apostles struggled with the fact that Gentiles were also coming into the commonwealth of Israel. 
In fact, it wasn't until Cornelius, the vision of Cornelius um, for Peter there where the sheet was let down and all these unclean foods were laid out before me in a vision and God says, Peter, take and eat. And Peter's like, I can't do that. I can't defile myself because those are not kosher. We can't eat those things according to the law. And the word of God comes to him. The Lord says to him, don't call unclean what I call clean. And then Peter, of course, we know the story goes to Cornelius's house by the vision and someone coming to him. And what does he find? Lo and behold, these Gentiles come to know Christ. And the Holy Spirit comes on them and seals them. And they, they have evidence of the Spirit of God right there on them. And Peter's like, wow. He goes back and says, hey, the Gentiles are even being saved. This is a mind blower, right? And then Paul the Apostle comes on the scene. And, and this mystery of the church and the manifold wisdom of God Paul talks about is being revealed. The angels themselves are just like blown away or like, wow, this has been the plan of, re, uh, of, of redemption all from here in Genesis, all the way through with Christ, they're blown away. The manifold wisdom of God is just, the principalities are just watching this going, this is, this is incredible. And so it is a reality that we see shadows and types in the Old Testament, and then we see what? We see the revelation or, let's say, the real picture of them in the New Testament. So in the Old Testament, they're concealed. The New Testament, they're revealed. And so there is a progressive revelation that's going on. In fact, even today, although we might read Daniel, I'm speaking now in eschatological terms here or thinking of eschatology, which is the study of end times, um, there are things we still don't yet know exactly until they happen. For example, we don't know who the man of lawlessness is yet, right? Because he hasn't been revealed. But Paul says that the day of the Lord will not come until two things happen. Number one, the great falling away, the departure, the apostasy, and the man of sin or lawlessness, the Antichrist, being revealed. We don't know who that's going to be. We know the Antichrist is coming. We know that. And the spirit of Antichrist and many Antichrists have been around. But we know that there's a, there is an individual, a he, a person uh, of... of, of, of uh, of intrigue, he's coming, but when he's revealed, we will know. So you don't need to be spending your time, wasting your time trying to figure out who he is because no one's going to know until he is revealed when he's revealed, right? Okay, so that was another principle. That is the progressive revelation principle. Other things like atonement and heaven and hell. In the Old Testament, we knew a little bit about um, about uh, um Tartarus, um, or, or uh, the place of the dead. We knew a little bit. Sheol, we learned a little bit about where the, the dead go. But when we get to the New Testament, we have the story of rich man and Lazarus, and we see this incredible interaction going on down in the abode of the dead where we have a chasm between the two, and we have the righteous in Abraham's bosom, and we have the unrighteous over here, and they're in suffering and torment, and they can see, and they can feel, and they can communicate. And we see over here, and then we have the, the Abraham's bosom side, which is a part of, of what, what, what is paradise, yet was where the, 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 un, the righteous dead went, along with the unrighteous dead, separated by a chasm. Christ goes, and he preaches to the spirits in prison, and he takes with him a trail or a train with him as he goes and ascends to heaven. And paradise is now where? Where Jesus Christ is. Um, so we've learned a lot just through the, the word of God progressively about what happens to people when they die. Paul says, we not want you to be informed, brothers, about those who have fallen asleep. 
that you have no hope like those that you do not grieve like those who have no hope. And we're learning more and more about, about the resurrection. Are you, wow, the resurrection is an incredible thing. Now, there, there, there is all since creation. Creation demonstrates the resurrection because every seed-bearing plant that grows above the ground is a picture of the resurrection. The seed goes in the ground. It germinates. What does it do? It comes to, brings life, comes forth, and what is it? It's way more incredible than what, sown, what seed was sown. And so we see a paradigm that Paul teaches us in 1 Corinthians. He says, you want to know a little bit about the glorified body? It's like this. You see that oak tree over there? Yeah. You see this little seed? Yeah. That can't be that oak tree. Oh, it was the seed that was sown. The body that's going to be sown is not going to be anything in glory compared to the one that's going to be resurrected. So God put in all of his creation... Everything that grows above the ground is a picture for all the world to see. The resurrection is a guaranteed promise that's going to happen. And then we learn that not only are the righteous going to be resurrected, but so are the unrighteous. They're going to be resurrected at the end of the millennial kingdom. And the Bible says that they are going to be resurrected and they're going to stand before the judgment seat of God. And the books are going to be opened and they're going to be judged by those things that they did in the body. So everyone that has ever been born is going to be resurrected from the dead. When Christians die today, those of faith that die in faith in Christ, those that have, been, that have been sealed with the Spirit of God, that belong to Christ, that are part of the commonwealth of Israel, the kingdom of God, the believers themselves, the children of God, when they die, Paul says, to be absent from the body is to be what? In the presence of the Lord. So we know that when we die today, what? The Bible teaches progressively we've learned these things. And so it's incredible. So there is progressive revelation. Not only heaven, hell, judgment, angels, demons. We know a whole lot more about those things now progressively through Scripture and many more things. So the fourth principle was the progressive revelation principle. All right, let's look at the fifth one, guys. The fifth one is the one interpretation principle, okay? Every Scripture in the Bible has only one interpretation, right? So we can't have, like, mixing views here, right? A scripture may have several applications, right? But it's only got one interpretation. Um, so this is important that one of the reasons I think this is, this is a very important thing is um, because we find that some pastors teach that all the promises that were given to Israel that were foretold when Israel rejected her Messiah, they now have what? Passed on to what? the church, and that Israel now is no longer part of that. Well, there's some major issues with that, and that's called replacement theology is what that's called. So when God made promises to the nation of Israel, he made literal promises to the nation of Israel. They are to the nation of Israel. And so uh, it's important that we realize that, that God meant what he said, and he said what he meant, and there's one interpretation to that. Now, there's application also for us, because we have been brought into, as Paul says in Romans, we've been brought into what? The, the commonwealth of Israel, right? That we were a wild olive shoot, that we have been grafted in. And so um, we want to, to, to know that there is a one interpretation principle. It can have different applications, but there is one interpretation. It's very important for us to understand that. Number six, guys... It is the harmony of Scripture principle. A scripture needs to be in harmony with the rest of Scripture. <clears throat> this is important because there's, there's people out there that put a lot of stock in um, extra-biblical texts, for example. Okay, 
Um, let's say, for example, uh, the book of Judas or the book of Enoch, for example. Some of you guys may have read some of these books. There's many of them out there. Um, and there's a reason that they are not included in the canon of Scripture. It's because they're not in harmony with the rest of Scripture. In fact, they have um, things that have been written, particularly in those books, that are in opposition to what the Word of God says. So therefore, when the Bible was actually canonized, there were those books that were not, were not included because they contradicted other aspects of Scripture. And so one thing we know is about Scripture is that Scripture is in harmony with the rest of Scripture. The entire Bible is given by inspiration of God, guys. It's not that God, you know, he's got a different view here and a different view here. No, no, no. God has, he's immutable. He never changes. Um, it's going to happen the way he said it's going to happen. And thank God that he is a God that never changes. So the harmony of scripture is very, very, very important that we understand that, that we that we, that, we, that we see how important that is. Every verse must be in harmony with the rest of Scripture. So it's important for us to grasp that and understand that. Um, how about the genre? That's G-E-N-R-E, -E, the genre Scripture or principle of Scripture, okay? So now these are just, these are just, a, this is a system, all right, for studying the Scriptures, okay? And it helps us as we study the Word of God. So genre just means um, what type of writing is it, right? And is it historical? You know, is it poetry? Is it the law? Is it, or is it the Gospels? Is it the epistles? Is it prophecy? So some of those things, we want to know that when we're reading the Word of God, that we're reading, uh, we, know what, we know what we're reading, for example. And so different genres in Scripture um, there are 66 books in the Bible. We know that, and they're written by several different authors, and there's different genres within Scripture. Um, and the Bible contains poetry, history, prophetic writings. Um, it, it, it has books of wisdom, like Proverbs, for example, is a book of wisdom. Um, and we need to keep that in mind when we study Scripture. What genre of 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 scripture are we actually reading? Not of scripture, but what genre are we reading when we're reading scripture? Um, and so, if we're reading Proverbs, for example, we should not assume that each saying is a promise from the Lord, but it's actually words of wisdom, okay? It's actually words of wisdom. Um, one of the sad things about Solomon, although um, he was given... Um, the greatest amount of wisdom any man has ever had. And a lot of that was due based on God blessing him for what he asked for in the beginning. He asked not for wealth and riches and, and, and all of the stuff that most kings would ask for, but as a young man, he asked for wisdom that he would know how to, to govern over the people that God had given him uh, or entrusted to him. And so God blessed him and he gave him everything else as well. But the sad thing about it is, is wisdom without application is what? It's worthless. It's absolutely worthless. But when it comes to the genre principle of, of, of what we're reading in Proverbs, we need to look at it as it is words of wisdom, but not necessarily a promise of God, okay? Um, they're words of wisdom, all right? They're not an emphatic promise of God, right? 
but they are words of wisdom. If you do these things, then, then there's the wisdom of this is this is, this is a good, good outcome here. Um, and so it's important for us to grasp that and to understand that. For example, it says, train up a child in the way that he should go, and when he's old, he will not depart from it. Well, there is an element of truth in that, but that is not a promise because you and I both know people who have trained children up in the way of the Lord, and some of them have gone the way of the world, okay? It's not an emphatic promise, but with that comes, if you do train your children up to know the Lord, there's a great chance that they will serve the Lord, right? Or even if they're old and have departed, sometimes that foundation brings them back, but not always, not always. So it's not an emphatic promise that guarantees it. If you do this, this is going to be the result. But it's a book of wisdom. In other words, you want to know how to raise your kids? Raise them up to know the Lord. Is it a promise that if you do, every one of them is going to be what? A follower of the Lord Jesus Christ and they're going to serve him? Nope. Unfortunately, I have seen good men and good, good, good mothers and good fathers, godly fathers. I've seen men who have raised their kids to know the Lord. And I'm telling you, one of the greatest heartbreaks I can only imagine would be for those who have done that, but their children have chosen by their own will to go the way of the world. And so all I'm trying to teach here is, is that when you read uh, wisdom, it's great wisdom, but it's not a, necess- a guaranteed promise uh, from God. Okay, that's all I'm trying to say here so that you can understand that. So understand the the biblical genre that you are reading, okay? That's just important that we understand that. All right, we're getting close here on time. Let me run through these last two that I want to share with you today. So we have the grammatical principle, okay? Grammatical principle. Um, Grammar is important, by the way. Um, I used to hate. I still am not great at it, um, but I never have thoroughly loved English, okay? Uh, but I am thankful that I did have one teacher, which really is one I really struggled with. But anyway, she taught us how to diagram sentences. And so she pounded in our head, this is a noun, this is a verb, this is an adjective, this is an adverb, this is a preposition, you know, all down through them all. So we, we learned how to diagram sentences, but we know that grammar actually has great importance. And so when I'm studying something, I want to know, okay, I'm looking at an adverb or this is a verb or this is a noun tense or it's important that we understand this is the subject. It's important that we we understand these things. So it's no secret that the Bible was written in Hebrew, Greek, and then there was a little bit of, of Aramaic in there. But because of this, we now have hundreds of Bible translations available in nearly every single language on the planet. Some of these translations are good, and many of them, unfortunately, guys, they're really not worth the paper that they're written on. So um, one of the reasons for that is is because of the changing uh, within some of the modern translations. They've changed some of the grammar, okay? Um, And let me give you an example of one that's very, very important. Uh, Just, for example, Revelation in Revelation chapter uh, 5. When we read the Song of the Redeemed, um, if you read some of the more modern translations, and and I'm a big advocate of even the ESV, um, but even in that passage, for example, it doesn't totally change the meaning, but yet 
when you read it in like the King James, for example, I will give credence here for that passage there in relation to the King James is that you're, they're singing it in the first person. Um, but when you read it like in the NIV or even unfortunately in the ESV, which is a very literal translation, it, it reads it in the, it, it reads it and sings it in the second person. Um, and so it changes it some because when you're reading about who's there around the throne and before the elders and the, the four living creatures and, and who's reading, who's singing the song, it says, you have redeemed us unto God. And we, it's, it's in the first person in the King James, but then it says you have redeemed them. You know, so, so it's, 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 it's not, it's not personal. It's impersonal as if to say they're the one singing are singing about something else or someone else. In other words, it's that the ones that are singing there are not the redeemed, but they're singing about those who are redeemed. You see the difference? It's important. So grammar does matter, okay? And then when you get to other translations, I mean, I hate to say this, but like the NIV past 1984, they're making things gender-friendly, you know what I'm saying? And so there's reasons that God chose to use the word sons, for example, um, adoption uh, as sons, for, for example. There's reasons those words are used specifically because of, of what that means for the sons, because the son received the birthright, the blessing. You, know, you go down the list of things. It, it's important that that's there. Even though it does include both male and female, the word sons there, though, is important. It, it, it just is. And so not only that, pronouns are important. When, it, when you look at even like speaking of of uh, the Antichrist, the word he is used there, right? Not it, but he. It and he are two different things. He is masculine. It's referring to a male is what that's in. And then we see the masculine uh, use of pronouns when we come to the Godhead. We, we don't have a feminine. So you got these stupid books out there and this stupid uh, mindset where I hear these, these woke liberal some bucks out there, excuse me, saying things like, she when referring to God or God is a woman. No, 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 no. Um, there's a reason that the, the masculine is used there. Okay. There is a reason for that. So I'm not going to get into that, but there's a reason for that. So all I'm going to say about this is, is that grammar does matter. And so as we study the word of God, that's why we also want to know the Greek and we want to know the Hebrew. I want to know what is, how is it? Is it a verb? Is it a noun? Is, is what, what tense is it in? Is it, is it in the middle? Is it the first? Is it the second? I, I kind of want, I want to know those things as I study that, right? Because it helps me gain understanding. And I also want to know what the word actually means. What is the true meaning of the word? And all of this stuff is very, very important in helping us understand this. And so I'm just going to say, as you study scripture, grammar matters and pay attention to the grammar and things like the message. The message is not even scripture. Okay. It's just, it's, it's written in such a way that it, it I guess if you want to read it to just kind of, I don't even know, but why would you waste your time reading the message when you could read the word of God written in literal word for word? Why, why would we do that? Right? So just encourage you the grammatical principle matters. I'll quit harping on that. Here's the ninth one, and then we're going to wrap this up for today. The historical principle. Um, it's another uh, very important principle. 
Um, the Bible has been written in a way that any culture from any time um, can understand the truths that are written in it and also can apply it. So even Paul writing in the first century church, writing to those people who are living in a, in a different time than we are by far, although experiencing many of the same things and yet not experiencing many of the same things, it, it means that it's still applicable for our day and for our time, that it's historical, it is, it's eternal. It, it is applicable totally, completely for us today. Even though it was written in the, to the first century believers, it also is applicable and, and useful and pertains to believers of all time. So sometimes you'll say, well, come on. I mean, this is an outdated book. You know, it needs to get with the times, man. It needs, it needs, I mean, this is, this is, this is 2023, man, you know? No, the word of God, it is the standard that never changes and it's applicable for our day and for our time. If you do not have this principle even here, how, how do you, gain any understanding to what God's intent and meaning was from the word. God's going to change his meaning for a different era of time? No. Why? Because people are still people who are still people who are still people. And on the subject of things like this month, which is Pride Month, homosexuality has always been a sin. It's always been an abomination. It always will be. Uh, God doesn't change. Nothing has changed. It's been around from the very beginning. We haven't somehow evolved into a more, more incredible being. No, it's just depravity like it always has been. And so what's great about it is it all applies and it all works for us no matter what time in which you live. And that is the historical principle. So what an incredible, um, what an incredible God we serve. One more thing on the on the the historical principle that I, I think is good too is it also does us good to understand the culture and time in which it was written in, but it doesn't change the meaning of the word. And so having said that, I mean, men are men are men are men. And wickedness and wickedness and wickedness and wickedness, the nature of humanity, uh, all of those things are still the same as they've always been. And you've seen that throughout history. We're just repeating it all over, all over, all over. And, and so, guys, I want to encourage you. Man, study the Word of God. Don't just look at it as a bag of feed and say, yeah, yeah, there's some cow feed there, a horse feed. No, no. It's the ingredients. Know the ingredients of this thing. God has written it in such a way that we can know the ingredients. And then we're able to teach it, not only to our wives, not that our wives aren't learning and growing and maturing in their own study, not that, but we are to also teach and our children to raise them up and to teach them and then to be able to give a defense for our faith and to teach others. And so, guys, I want to encourage you to apply these principles uh, to the way in which you study Scripture. Go back and listen to the first one if you missed it. If not, there's this one here for you to add to your study of reading the Word of God. And never forget, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. It is profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, instruction in righteousness, 
so the man of God can be complete. That means mature, thoroughly equipped for every good work. How are you going to be equipped? The Word of God. And so thank you guys so much for your time. I thank you guys for tuning in. Um, yes, this podcast is probably different than some other podcasts out there for men. Um, but I want to teach things that are of value. And the Word of God is extremely valuable for us in our day and our time. And we need it in our lives. And so um, thank you guys. Would you share this with someone else? Um, if it's had value in your life, if this podcast is a blessing to you, would you share this with some of your friends and other brothers in Christ? Um, you know, we want to we uh, be faithful to what God has given for us to do. So God bless you guys, um, and we'll see you on the next podcast. Take care.